Good morning, everyone. We're a little bit light this morning, but that is so good. It's the middle, of, at the end of the summer, and uh, there are a number of us that are away. And also, our fearless leader is sick this morning, so we'll be praying for Carmelo and help uh, that he feels better this morning. And uh, I'm looking forward this morning, we're going to have this opportunity to be able to talk about moving on from what we talked about last week in managing your emotions. We're going to be talking about mastering conflicts and how we're going to do that. In light of that, I want you to think about this passage from Proverbs chapter 9, verses 9 through 10. It says, give instruction to the wise man and he will still be wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. There is something about hearing God's word, believing God's word, and applying God's word in our lives. So I pray that you will be doing that more and more uh, as you do that through your life. Let's open in a word of prayer as we begin our time together. Father, you are the father of all wisdom. You are the God of all strength and mercy and kindness. You, you hold all of nature in your hands. You hold all of history in your hands, Lord, I praise you. Lord, I confess that and we confess that we lack wisdom so oftentimes, Lord. So many times in our lives, Lord, we know the truth and we don't apply the truth. We hear the truth, but we don't really listen to it, Lord. Please keep us far from that, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would help us not only to know the truth, but to apply the truth in the way, in the way we speak, in the way we act, in the, in the deepest emotional struggles in our lives and in through the conflicts as well. I pray that you would remind us that you're a God of peace. And Father, I pray that you would remind us that we have been justified by grace through faith because of the work of your son and therefore we have peace from God. Lord, I pray that you would remind us of the grace by which we now stand and I pray that you would remind us of the victory that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. By your Holy Spirit, Father, I pray that you would teach us that there is therefore now no condemnation. Nothing will ever separate us from your love in Christ. So this morning, Father, I pray that we would worship your son. I pray that we would see him as magnificent and big in our lives. I pray that we'd be filled by your spirit. And Lord, I pray that we bring honor and glory and majesty to your name. In Jesus' matchless and holy name we pray. Amen and amen. Be blessed. Oh, 
I have is Christ. You know, you just take those three, that, that phrase, all we have is Christ. Let's pray here. Lord, we, we are living in a time of great conflict. A lot of chaos in our world, a lot of chaos in life, such confusion, Father. Things that are viewed to be absolutely true by others are absolutely false when we look at God's word. Father, the, the things that we could never have expected would have ever occurred 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years ago are happening today. And Father, I, I pray for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we live in this world and thankfully, Father, we live in a nation where we have the freedom to be able to worship, the freedom to be able to gather together, Father. There are so many brothers and sisters around this world that are in the midst of great conflict and great if difficulties in life, they don't have these same freedoms, yet they are doing it because they, all they have is Christ. I pray that that would be our passion today. And Father, as, as the ground around us starts to shake, I pray that we would remind ourselves that the firm the foundation under us is absolutely firm. We have nothing to fear because you were with us. We don't have to be anxious or despairing because you are our God. So Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us. I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would fill us with your grace and peace. And today, now, Father, as I have the privilege of opening your word, I pray that you would speak through me. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be pleasing to you. I pray for receptive ground, Father, as the seed goes out. I pray that the hearts here will be open to receiving. And I pray that in all this, we'll reflect you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 4 for a moment? Genesis chapter 4. And children, you can be dismissed for junior church if you haven't done so already. Genesis chapter 4. Now, many of you are familiar with the beginning of Genesis. Genesis, we have this beautiful garden. God is the creator and he creates everything. And I actually believe he literally created in six literal days. And, and in these days, God is blessing and he says, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then he creates humanity, which is just incredible. And, and he says, it's not good. And it's not good, what? Even before sin was in this world, it's not good that a man be alone. And he created a woman for that man. And he, and he brought them together. And I believe that God performed the first marriage ceremony in Genesis chapter 2. As he, as he brought this daughter down the aisle to, his, to this man. And then he wed them together as the leader. Not only is he playing the role as the father, but he's also playing the role as the officiant of that marriage ceremony. And everything was just beautiful. There was harmony. There was peace. There was joy. And then all of a sudden, God, who was the primary counselor of these people, the primary person that had their ear and had their mind and influenced their heart and then directed their lives, that God now was replaced in Genesis chapter 3. 
And in Genesis chapter 3, we're familiar with the story, and I go back to the story often because you have to understand the beginnings of the problems that we have. Another counselor comes in and gets their mind, their ear, and affects the way they think, their mind, and influences their heart, and then they live out that heart's direction. Gets them to doubt the word of God. And isn't that really part of the struggle that we have today? We have people that just doubt this very word, these 66 books that God has given us, that he has ordained for us. He, is, he tells us who he is and who we are and what he requires of us in this book. And people doubt that because it goes back to the Garden of Eden. They doubted the word of God. But, but they second, also doubt the authority of God. God says this and he, it is so, but today we say this and we say what God says doesn't matter. And we doubt God's word, we doubt God's authority, but we also doubted God's compassion for us, his love for us, his goodness. That what he says to be right is right and it is good for you. And that when you go outside of that, you open up the chaos and the confusion and the conflict in your life. And that's what we have in Genesis 3. Another counselor got their ear. Another counselor got their heart. Another counselor got their lives. And all the shame and all the fear and all the doubt, all the blame and all the guilt are a byproduct of listening to the wrong counselor and being influenced by them. They got kicked out of the Garden of Eden. God could have annihilated them in a the moment, but God chose to, in his grace, cover their sin cover their nakedness and give them the opportunity for life. He says that one from this woman's womb, a woman's womb will come and will become the savior of the world. He shows that right there for you in Genesis chapter three. He says, in spite of your sin, I'm going to provide a savior for you, an open door for hope and peace. He prophesies about Jesus Christ, the Prince of peace coming thousands of years later. But in Genesis chapter 4, where I have you, now Adam, verse 1, knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and saying, I've gotten a man with the Lord's help. And again, she bore a brother Abel, and Abel was the keeper of the sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. And in the course of time, whatever time this is, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit from the ground, and Abel brought a firstborn of his flock of the fat of the portions and the Lord had regard for Abel's offering but Cain and his offering he had no regard so Cain was what very angry and his face fell conflict a conflict vertically with God a conflict internally with self and a conflict displayed externally with others some wonder whether it was because it wasn't a blood sacrifice. That's the reason why God didn't have regard for it. But I don't, I don't think that is it. There are plenty of other sacrifices in the Old Testament where there wasn't blood. I, I honestly think that what it was, was what was ruling Cain's heart at the moment in time. He was doing this external form of worship, but his heart was really not for God and his glory. It was about him. And when he didn't get what he wanted, he found himself angry. What did he do? Watch verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? 
And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door, kind of like that lion ready to pounce. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. God is counseling him. He said, Cain, wake up. Be aware of yourself. Know your tendencies. Know your areas of temptation. Trust me. Follow me. Believe me. Obey me. And master yourself by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel. And what did he do? He killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is your Abel, your brother? Now, is God, is God not aware of what happened to Abel? Of course he is aware of it. Just like chapter 3, he asked uh, Adam, did you eat from the fruit I told you not to? It, God already knew it. God is wanting you to confess the sin. He's wanting you to repent and turn. He wants you to take responsibility. He's saying, Cain, what have you done? Do you know where your brother is? And the line that so many people are familiar with. And then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother? And he says, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord says, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And now you are cursed. I want you, and I wanted to start with that story because I think it is so important to remind yourself of the fact that Cain wanted God's blessings, so much so, but he really didn't want God. And he killed his brother rather than listening to the counsel of God. Envy, jealousy, coveting, greed, all of those things were in his heart. At the end of Genesis chapter 3, we have Joseph's brothers. And you remember Joseph's brothers could not stand that dad was giving blessings to Joseph and not to them. Now, I think dad was offline here, really honestly. I think that he mismanaged things in his home, but it doesn't matter. Even though his dad may have been, their dad may have been sinful, what they wanted to do was they wanted to kill their brother. And they eventually sold him into slavery. Saul, if you remember, did not take personal responsibility for not following God's counsel in 1 Samuel. And he wanted to hold on to his kingship so much that he wanted to kill David. David committed adultery, and instead of confessing it, he lied about his adultery. Then he lied to the man whose wife he stole. Then he tried to get that man drunk and put himself in that man's bed. And then eventually, what did he do? He ended up killing him. King Ahab, Jezebel's husband, saw a piece of property that he desperately wanted. And the conflict was in his heart. I want it, I want it, I want it, I need it, I need it, I need it. He tells his wife he's so upset that he can't get it. And what does his wife do? His wife kills the man to give his, her husband the property. In the New Testament, we have followers of Paul and John rejecting the gospel, rejecting the fellowship of their friendship, turning away from the gospel because they desire to be first. We have Judas, who wanted more power and authority. He turned away from the Prince of Peace, and he sold him for silver. In our time, you ever hear of the Hatfields and the McCoys? <laughs> I didn't know this, but I guess the Hatfields and the McCoys, all of it started over a hog. <laughs> one hog that they said one family stole from another. And all of that anger 
the deaths, the imprisonments. Some were executed. I'm a Civil War buff, and one of the greatest Civil War battle sites is just about two hours from here, and it's in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. And in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, if you notice, that battle began over what? Shoes. They needed shoes, and the Confederates needed shoes, and they fought a battle where tens of thousands of people died. I want you to think about this, that... Many of the battles of our own lives, many of the battles that we deal with, start with the most small, the most insignificant things in our lives. I often, in counseling people, find out that weeks, months, years later, they can't even remember why the conflict began, but the conflict has brought about separation. The triggers that happen, and the triggers I said last week were your triggers, Poor communication, misunderstanding, conflicting agendas, all of the defensiveness that comes up, sarcasm, anger, silence, attack, and all of the things that happen, we can find ourselves getting so frustrated in life. Some people have a tendency to avoid, some people have a tendency to flood in their conflict, but whatever happens, if you don't follow God's way, you will find yourself spiraling. Today, what I want to do is take a series, a walk through Proverbs. I want to look at what Proverbs says about conflict. And then I want you to identify what may be happening in your own heart that may lead to the conflicts in your life. So we're going to look at what Proverbs says, and we'll look at what is in your heart that may lead to the conflicts in your life, and then we'll end with the gospel. The gospel of Lord Jesus Christ that brings real peace and real hope and real meaning in life. Would you pray with me as we begin? Lord, I pray that as I open this word, I pray that you would teach us through this word. Teach us about yourself and teach us about ourselves. Help us to be so self-aware and help us to engage ourselves. Help us to be other-aware and engaging others. But more importantly, help us to be aware of you, Lord, and engage you for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. So let's start with this. Go to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1. I'm just going to walk through some Proverbs. I'll see how far I get through them. And uh, they'll tell us a little bit about what we can learn about conflict. So Proverbs chapter 1. I want you to first see this principle. That conflict often occurs because we fail to listen to God. And we fail to listen to God and we reject his counsel. So principle number one is conflicts often occur because we fail to listen to God and fail to reject his counsel. Or we reject his counsel. It says this in verse, chapter 1 verse 28. Then they call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Who would have none, I'm sorry, who have none of the counsel and despise my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their ways and of the fill of their own devices For the simple are killed by turning away, and the complacency of fools destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and find ease. What what the writer is saying is this, is that, that we find ourselves oftentimes rejecting the counsel of God, not listening to him. They, they call upon God, but God says, I'm not going to answer you because you have not been diligently following me. So important that if you look at the conflicts in your life, oftentimes it comes from the fact that you're not listening to God. Jump to Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. It says, 
my son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, make your ear attentive to wisdom and, and incline your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. I want you to think about the times that you go through your conflicts. And, and oftentimes, if I look out and think about the conflicts I've had and where I have sinned and I've done wrong, oftentimes I find myself not listening to the counsel of God. I know what the counsel says, but it, there's a huge, significant difference between knowing the truth, believing the truth, and applying the truth. And, and this person finds themselves hearing God's word, but not really hearing it. Understanding God's word, but not really applying it in life. So principle number one I find here is that conflicts often occur because we fail to listen to God and reject his counsel. That leads us to a second principle I want you to consider. We're called to trust God's instruction and discipline because it is beneficial, more beneficial than earthly gain, and it is true life. Trust God's instruction and his discipline because it is more precious than earthly gain and will produce true life. Look at me with me in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11. It says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves those he loves, as a father, the son in whom he delights. Blessed is one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than the gain of silver and the profit than of gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare to her. Long life is in her hands. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are, her ways, are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. To those who hold fast are called blessed. I want you to see how, how he personifies wisdom here. And he, he talks about you as a son. And he personifies wisdom as this, this woman holding out this hand. And, and hearing God's counsel, reproved by his counsel, are blessed when you find wisdom. And then you gain understanding. And instead of searching out all of these earthly treasures, all of these possessions, all of the power and the prestige, long for her, cling to wisdom. And as you do that... It brings peace. The third principle I want you to consider is found in verse 29 of the same chapter. We must be careful not to have unnecessary conflicts and avoid those who provoke them. We must be careful not to have unnecessary conflicts and avoid those that provoke them. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 29 and 30 says this, Do not devise evil against your neighbor. He who dwells trustingly beside you. Do not contend with a man for no reason when he has done you no harm. You know what verses 29 and 30 are talking about is these unnecessary conflicts. And, and we must avoid it. We must avoid it in our lives. And we must avoid people in our lives that tend to provoke it. There are some people that are residing by you 
and they want to be at peace with you. But you could be so thoughtless at times, and so can I. And when we find ourselves doing that, what we do is we may find ourselves being thoughtless or maybe, sad to say, some of us are so deliberate in our attacks against other people. And when we do that, we're not honoring God. God is a God of peace. And when we do that, we're opening ourselves up to being vulnerable to God's work, he, uh, God's work in our lives. I want you to see that there is envy that is there at the heart of this person's life. There is something that he wants. He is contending with this person for no reason. This person has done you good and you find yourself attacking them. A similar theme is found in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 27. It says, my son, be attentive to my words and incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart for they are life to those who find them and healing for their flesh. Oh, that is so important. Keep your heart with all vigilance for from it springs life. Put away from you crooked speech and devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of, of your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. What we find here is that he's making this appeal as you read the first several chapters of Proverbs. There's this appeal to wisdom and he's making this appeal. And his appeal here is this. I want you to be hearing God's wise instruction, guarding your heart versus it. When you do that, you can have health. You can find yourself sustained in life. You can be secure in life over and over again. Our heart is like this uh, wellspring. It's out of the heart that we, we think, it's out of the heart that we feel, and it's out of the heart that we intend and desire. So it's the cognition, it is the affections, and it is the intentions of your life all come from your heart. What God is saying is this, I want you to be so mindful to guard your heart because it is a wellspring of life. Another principle I want you to consider is found in chapter 6, verse 12. A person who causes strife and stirs up trouble among God's people is destined for disaster and destruction. A person who causes strife and stirs up trouble among God's people is destined for disaster and destruction. Proverbs 6, 12, it says this, a worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks his eyes and signals with his feet and points with his finger with perverse heart, devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. And in a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. There's six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, and a heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who what? Sows discord among his brothers. Another principle found in chapter 9. The person who wants to be wise must examine their hearts in order to properly respond to rebuke, instruction, and correction. The person who wants to be wise must examine their hearts in order to properly respond to rebuke, instruction, and correction. Proverbs chapter 9, we'll spend a little bit more time in this one, verse 7 through 10. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, 
And he who reproves the wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. I want you to hear this, that the more you're aware of God, and the more you engage God, that affects the way you see yourself. You can become more aware of yourself and engage yourself and discipline yourself more. And then you'll start to see others in a different light. You'll have more compassion for them and you'll desire to serve them. A God awareness, God engagement, self-awareness, self-engagement, other awareness, other engagement. Look right here. The contrasting statements of working with a fool and then working with a wise person. Watch what it says. In verse 7, it talks about if you are working or trying to correct a scoffer or a wicked person, what may happen? First, you may find yourself getting abused. You may find yourself on the back end of what they're trying to do. You're trying to help them, and what do they do? They attack you. They may try to abuse you. Second, they may, you may incur injury. Pastor friend of mine is in the back there from a local church, and I know my brother and I, I mean, we, you know, any person that is in the pastor can find themselves incurring injury at times. You're trying to help hurting people, and as you help hurting people, sometimes people hurt you. And as you incur those injuries in your life, you find yourself abused, and maybe sometimes you find yourself incurring injury. The third thing he says here is that you may be hated. See, in this world, to be a light for the gospel, you need to be willing to be loved by God and maybe even hated by this world. To be a person who's going to stand up for truth and model Christ. But sometimes we get it inverted. I want to be loved by this world. I don't care if God's not happy with me. It's absolutely wrong. We're off track. So the three things that may happen if you correct an, a, a fool is that you may be abused, you may get injured, or you may be hated. Well, how about this? If you were going to correct a wise person, what does this passage say? You will be loved. That when brothers come together and sisters come together and we encourage one another, what can happen is this, that they will love you because it's like, thank you for telling me the truth. I needed to know that. And when you do that, when you counsel that person in that way, they become wiser, it says here. They actually grow in their wisdom and they increase in their learning. Why? Because you open yourself up to being used by God as an instrument in his hands. Other passages that talk about that same principle, Proverbs 10, jump to Proverbs 10, verse 8. The wise man will receive commandments but the babbling fool will come to ruin. Proverbs 10, 17 says this, jump down to verse 17, it says this, whoever heeds instruction is on the path of life, but he who rejects reproof leads what? Others astray. Proverbs eleven two. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with humble, there is what? Wisdom. Man, I could keep going. Proverbs 12, 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is what? Stupid. Bold, huh? <laughs> I actually said stupid, huh? <laughs> it's in the scripture. 
Proverbs 12, 15 through 16. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. The vexations of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignore an insult. And it just keeps going on and on. Do you find yourself being a person who is open to receiving rebuke, correction, and instruction through others? That God has put people in in your lives, in your life, to help you and to challenge you and to look at things in your life and to say, James, you're off course. I need those people in my life to let me know that. Are you open to that? A wise person does that. A couple more principles and then we'll move forward. We must be careful how we speak when we think about conflict. We must be careful how we speak. Your words are a mirror of your heart and your words reveal your tendency to hurt or to heal, to bring life or death. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 28. It says this, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. Think about that. Take a moment. I often tell my clients sometimes, just take a sip of water, just for a second. Before you open your mouth, take a sip of water. You know I used to do, I used to bite on a pencil. I put a pencil in my mouth, James. Don't say anything, put a pencil in your mouth. Stop, think. How would you like to hear them respond to you? How would you like people to treat you? We need to be very careful. We need to ponder what we think. Because the mouth of the wicked pours out evil. You know, your words are a mirror of your heart. It says in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, that a good person out of the good treasure of their heart produces good. But an evil person out of the evil treasure of their heart produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's kind of like a pitcher. You know, if you, a pitcher of water, and you have a pitcher of water up here and it has a spout. And as you turn that spout outward, whatever's in that pitcher will come out. Well, that's similar to what happens in our hearts. Whatever is in our hearts, when it comes forward, it will come out of our lives. It will come out of, in our words. It will come out in our behaviors. Your words will oftentimes reflect your tendency to hurt or to heal. Back to Proverbs eleven nine, It says this, With his mouth, the godless man will destroy his neighbor, but by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. Proverbs 11.11 says, by the blessing upon upright, a city is exalted, but the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Jump to Proverbs 12.18. It says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrust, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Your words reveal your tendency to hurt or to heal. Your words also are an intending, it's an indicator of the spiritual depth of your life. How spiritually mature are you? In James chapter one, it says, if anyone thinks he's religious, but does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, his religion is worthless. He goes on a little bit later in that book and he says this, now many of you should become teachers, my brothers, because we who teach will be judged more strictly. For we all stumble in many ways and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. 
if you put a bit in the mouth of a horse so that they obey us, we guide the whole body as well. Look at a ship also. They are large, but they're driven by strong winds, but they are guided by this small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs it. So the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by a single spark. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among its members, staining the whole body and setting the fire, the course of life. And is also set on fire by hell. Your words are going to also reveal whether you are focused on yourself or God. So there's so many other passages I can go through in Proverbs. I'll stop here in this section. I guess if we boiled it down, what do we learn? A foolish person in the midst of conflict believes that they're always right. They can't ever be wrong. A person that is a fool in conflict hates any level of accountability or correction, unwilling to accept it, doesn't want to hear any practical strategies in life. A fool finds themselves blaming others rather than taking responsibility. A fool will pursue ease rather than doing the hard thing in a relationship. A fool expects that you're going to change for them rather than them changing for God and you. <laughs> a fool rejects instruction. A fool acts confidently, talks a lot, a lot, but doesn't listen. And a fool gossips and cuts down other people. And a fool can't manage their emotions. They get angry very quickly and they can't rein themselves in. Now, as I was going down that list, and as I went through those passages, I wonder how many of those things sound like you, and how many of them sound like me. If we were to get to the heart of why we struggle, it really comes down to several things. One, selfishness. In James, James talks about the fact that we make our own selfish desires the rulership of our lives. And that is what causes some of the things that we have. Pride is also at the heart of many of the struggles. Self-righteousness, insecurity, jealousy, self-pity, prejudice, unforgiveness. But all of it comes down to a lack of love. Well, this is really encouraging. Proverbs tells us that there are a lot of reasons for the conflicts. At the heart, there's so many things that are underneath the surface in our heart that need to be dealt with point after point. But it's gospel that brings peace. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to think of yourself in light of the gospel. I want you to think of every conflict that you have in light of the gospel. Ephesians chapter 2, it says, for he, verse 14. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, having abolished the law of the commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he might create in himself one man in place of two, so that making peace, and that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross, 
by killing the hostilities. I want you to know this, that there is nothing that can't be remedied in the precious cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. No division. You know, some of the crazy things that we hear today is that you will find yourself finding peace and harmony among relationships by going away from God's word and going away from God, and that's going to draw you to people. That's a lie right from hell. It is Christ that draws us together because it is Christ who deals with the hostility between us and God and then between us and one another. And when God deals with that in Christ, he changes you from the inside out. He gives you a new heart. He gives you a new life. And you pour out the picture of your life, grace and love and peace. You become a reconciler. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What would it be like if you thought of yourself as a minister of reconciliation? Not a minister of conflict, but a minister of peace and reconciliation. Watch what it says here. I love this section. Verse 14. For the love of Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sakes died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. There, if anyone is in what? Christ. He's a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us a minister of reconciliation. Love these last two verses. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of God, of Christ, be reconciled to God. What he's saying is that there is a vertical issue that you have. And when you are reconciled to God and he does something in your life and you are vertically connected to God, then he works through you internally and then horizontally. And here's verse 21. Love this. This is a great verse to memorize. For our sake, he, God the Father, made him, Jesus Christ the Son, to be sin. Who knew no sin? The perfect one, the Lord Jesus Christ, took on your sin. He took it upon himself. And as he hung on the cross, God poured his anger and wrath out on his son that he would have poured out upon you. And in eternity in hell, he poured it out on his son. Jesus Christ, the perfect one, took on your sin. And he became your sin bearer. And then what he did, so that in him, in Christ, you, we, might become the righteousness of God. God wants to do something amazing in your life, but he starts by changing you and then using you to impact others. Last section I want you to consider is in Romans. One more book back, two books back, Romans chapter 12. One of my favorite books in the Bible. Paul took 11 chapters to talk about the gospel. He talked about our guilt and our sin. 
and he talked about the gospel and what Christ has done for us, how we could be reconciled. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, therefore, we've been justified by faith. We have peace with God. You have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he talks about the fact that you shouldn't fall to sin in Romans 6. And then he says in Romans 7, but you are going to fall to sin at times. And then in Romans 8, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 20 plus times in that chapter. He is mentioned because he is the change agent in your life. And as you are filled with the Holy Spirit, he changes you from the inside out. And he begins that chapter by saying there's no condemnation. He ends that chapter by saying there's nothing that will ever separate you from the love of God. And in Romans chapter 9 and 10 and 11, he talks about the sovereign work of God in life and in salvation. And he comes to Romans 12 and he says, in light of all that, this is the way I want you to live. He says, Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy, the grace, the compassion of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to the world. Don't be listening to all those news stations, but be transformed by these 66 books, transformed by the renewal of your mind. Then you will be able to test and discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And jump down to verse nine. We're going to read the end of this. Because if we applied the principles in this section, how many of these principles would help us in the midst of conflict? Verse 9. Let love be genuine. Not a false love. I love you, but then I'm talking about you behind your back. A real love. I'm ready to sacrifice myself for you. Let love be genuine. Hate. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Let one another, love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful or lazy in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Go vertically. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. I can guarantee you that if you just took those three things, patient in hope, rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, constant in prayer, it would help you in so many of your conflicts in life. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. Serve. One other passage, Mark chapter 11, verse 25, it says, 45, it says this. The Lord Jesus Christ did not come here to be served, but to what? To serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. What would happen if you lived your life in a way to serve others? Because Christ has served you, and now you serve others. But let's keep going here. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. Verse 14. Bless those who do what? Persecute you. Bless and don't curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own eyes. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace. Let me stop there for a moment. There are going to be some relationships where you're going to try to reconcile that relationship and they're unwilling to do so. It says if possible. It says that there are certain circumstances where it's just not going to happen. But as far as it depends upon you, do everything that you possibly can to live a life of peace with them. 
to model Christ with them, if possible, as far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself. Be very careful of Twitter. Very, very careful of Facebook. Somebody says something and you get mad and then you have to attack out. Stop it. All these political arguments, no president is going to save us. It is only Christ that saves us. Be very careful and mindful of what you say. Don't avenge yourself. If somebody slaps you on the cheek, turn to the other one also. If somebody wants to take your coat, give them your shirt as well. If somebody wants you to go one mile, go with them too, Jesus said. He went to a cross for you. But watch this. God says, I got your back. It is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, do what? Feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coal on their head. Do not become overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, conflict starts sometimes with a small spark. Whether it's the fact that I didn't get a blessing from God and my brother did, or maybe I got praise, I didn't get praise from my dad and my friend did. Or maybe somebody's got a possession that I really want, but God hasn't given it to me. Sometimes, I am being dealt with because of sin in my life and God is rebuking me. Sometimes conflict happens over a hog, over shoes. But the smallest things in life should not become the biggest thing in your life. So I end with this. Our desire really should be to have a culture of peace. What would happen if ours was a culture of peace? where it is reflecting God's peace and God's power in life. And the gospel does something in our lives. And as we stand in light of the cross and we see the Lord Jesus Christ cross, that empty cross now and that empty tomb, but he died for you and he rose for you in light of the cross. Let go of the bitterness. Let go of the unforgiveness. Let go of the broken relationships and pursue peace. And when we do that, we become a light in darkness. We become healing instead of a harmful person. We become life givers instead of life takers. What will you do today? Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for your great sacrifice for us. Lord, I praise you because there is no one like you. There is no savior. There is no sanctifier of the Holy Spirit. There is no security greater than what you have provided to us, you triune God. Father, I thank you that you planned salvation. Holy Jesus, I thank you that you provided our salvation. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're the pledge of our salvation. We praise you. We thank you. Father, there is so much conflict that is happening in this world today because so many people have rejected your word as we went all the way back to the Garden of Eden. So many people are doubting your goodness and so many people are failing to submit to your authority and all the shame and all the fear and all the guilt is a byproduct of that, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would help us to have a, a heart of peace. 
I pray that we would speak peace. And if there are things that we see that, as I was talking this morning, if we see things in our lives that need to be confessed, Lord, I pray today, right now, that we would confess them. I pray right now that we would agree with you that they are off base and they're not honoring you. I pray that we would confess and I pray that we would repent and turn away from those things. And I pray that we would obey you regardless of the feelings, Father, because we want to reflect you. And Father, help us to be a light in the darkness. I pray that we would display grace. I pray that we'd be ministers of reconciliation because we want to reflect your son. Help us to do that today in our homes in our church, in this community, in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.
day, welcome. There is a welcome table right outside. We would love to know of your presence here with us. And they, we have a gift to give you as well. And be blessed. I want to end with this passage from Romans chapter 15. It says this, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Be blessed. Have a great day.